0: Hey founders, and thank you for listening. Today I'm speaking with Itzik Cohen, CEO and co-founder of PayZen, a healthcare affordability platform that's raised $240 million in funding. Itzik, thanks for chatting with me today. Good to be with you, thanks, Brett. I'm super excited for this conversation. I'd love to kick off with maybe just a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background. Great, so
1: I'm a native of Israel. I am um, living in San Francisco now for 26 years, so I've been able quite a while. Been in tech most of my life, um, later, uh, later careers more in fintech started starting in 2012 kind of fintech 1.0 and here we are doing more fintechy things to to better uh people's lives but um one interesting tidbit about me is I'm 6 eight and I played professional basketball in uh Europe uh, it's kind of like Euro league is kind of the NBA of Europe I guess so
0: I have that going for me as well I did an interview a while back with uh, Eric Stillman, the CEO and co-founder of Rapid. And he was talking about that was his dream is to buy, what's the basketball team there? The famous basketball team? Maccabi Tel Aviv. Okay, yeah. and uh, So you're a player there, it looks like. Uh, that, yeah. that, was,
1: that was my team, yep. I played there for six years as a pro. It was, uh, it was good times and also allowed me to focus on my tech career or tech studies because uh, it gives you a lot of free time when you're
0: playing basketball. And yes, yeah, so that was a, a good combo. Wow. Now, what was it like, take us back to 97 or was, yeah, it looks like it was 97 that you first came to the U.S. and started working in the U.S. What was Silicon Valley like back then? So the reason I
1: came here to begin with was, you know, unlike today, where you can really make it anywhere, people are more remote. You know, back then, if you really wanted to be the heart of the revolution or the internet revolution, as we called it back then, then it was called .com you really had to be here. The energy in Silicon Valley, the network, if you had ideas, you wanted to get funded, everything really happened here. A lot of Israeli founders could not have done it like the way they do it today, which is basically getting funding in Israel. weren't a lot of VCs in Israel at the time. And so I came here really to just experience what it's like to be in Silicon Valley. I was very fortunate to Get started here with an Israeli company first, but then even more fortunate to be one of the early guides in WebEx communications. Again, that gave me an amazing opportunity to be in management, getting a front row view and actually responsibility in a company that was growing fast, doing some pretty innovative things and ended up going public. And then growing uh, and being public for seven years and get acquired by Cisco. And, you know, seeing all of these things, witnessing these things at the time, all the challenges, I think I could not have done what I'm doing today, or I would never be as good of a CEO or, or a leader if I didn't have that type of experience and understand what it takes to really run a company, to deal with all the challenges. You know, it's not all glamour, as I'm sure you heard from other founders. And the world is, um, you know, I will able to get to Paisen. I think there's some uh, really uh, interesting stories about what we had to kind of go through. Even though we have a lot more experience these days, it never ends. I mean, you start a company, you start a business, it's never a straight line. You have to deal with a lot of un- unexpected things. The world is not always the most hospitable to founders and early stage startups, like in Payzen's case, and then you sell to hospitals and health systems. And six months after you start a company, there's a COVID pandemic. Try and sell to a hospital during a pandemic when you're ready to go um, with your product. Not easy, right? So (laughs) we have to navigate a lot of different things in order to get to the stage we're in, but that's what makes it fun and uh, challenging. And can you tell us
0: more about Payzen at a high level? What problem are you solving?
1: So the problem we're solving is basically healthcare affordability. And just to simplify what healthcare affordability is, essentially the way healthcare plans are structured today, more and more people have high deductible plans, which means you have more out-of-pocket expense as a family. Average is around $4,000 a year per family in the United States, even if you have insurance. Most people cannot afford that deductible. If you change the lens to the healthcare provider, More and more of their revenue is now coming from the patients. There's a consumerization trend in healthcare where the patient has become the payer. Essentially, the problem for the healthcare system is that they're not collecting enough because patients cannot afford it, which hits their cash flow and their APIs as well. So essentially, it's a problem for both patients who have less access to healthcare and more medical debt, which is a huge problem in the U.S., and healthcare providers who provide service and they're not getting paid what they owed essentially because patients cannot pay them in full and the idea was this is a financial problem why not try a fintechy approach to solve the problem using technology and here we are today four years later exactly and we're doing pretty good in uh, about 5x a year growth and continuing to grow at that pace in the next at least two years that's what we're expecting so yeah, we, we had a thesis, and by the way, that's another important information here. The thesis was, you know, most people are pretty decent people and they want to pay their obligations. If you give them a way to pay their bills in a way that will not overburden them financially. And that was one of the most pivotal moments in our company's history, kind of the first time, you know, people ask me about, you know... How was it feeling to get your first customer? Well, my first customer was basically a healthcare system, but what we really needed to understand is, is the thesis holding water? Are people really going to pay more? Are more people going to participate in paying their bills because you make it easier for them? The answer is unequivocally yes. The thesis checks out completely, which means that it gave us a lot more motivation and uh, tailwind to move forward with our products. And of course, our products are much more robust and uh, we have second products now coming to the market that we introduced uh, a couple weeks ago, but um, we can talk about it later on. But that was really important for us to understand, okay, you have a thesis of a problem. Is your thesis checking out? The answer is yes. That was huge because we really didn't know. Nobody has done it uh, exactly
0: the way we did. And what was the source of inspiration to develop the thesis in the first place? How did you uncover this problem? And then what was it about this problem that made you say, yep, that's it, let's go build a company around this? You know, it started,
1: first of all, everything was data driven. So I would say that myself and my co-founders, we looked at data that kind of led us in this direction. But my personal story actually goes a little bit to the past. I had a health scare in around 2001, I think it was 2002, and you know I was fine. I was really take, well taken care of, and I had a great insurance. And uh, that was really my first experience with the United States healthcare system. Somebody who was not grown up here. And at the end of the day, I still received a fifty thousand dollars bill. You know, it was a pretty long process of uh, healing and um, a lot of uh, procedures that I needed to get through, but. It worked out, everything was great, but you still, I still got a bill for $50,000 to pay. And the first thing thought that comes to mind is like, well, I can afford it. I'm very fortunate, but what do people who can't, what do they do? And I did nothing with this thinking for years, right? I mean, obviously, a lot of time has passed since then. But in my previous company that I started before uh, Paysian, a company called Beyond Finance, Beyond Finance is one of the largest debt settlement companies in the United States, helping consumers get out of credit card debt, personal loans, in a way that will allow them to negotiate their their debt with their creditors. And one of the data points I've seen is that the fastest growing type of debt that we were enrolling into our platform was medical debt. It was growing faster than credit cards, personal loans, or any other type of debt that is out there. And I was wondering what do we do with this debt and you know there was no really good solution at the time you know after i left the company uh i got back to san francisco i uh, kind of pulled the band back together and said you know there's a problem here it's growing we started doing some more research and what we thought was a big problem turned out to be a massive problem you know, just maybe some give you some numbers so every year in the united states hospitals are billing patients after insurance about four hundred and thirty billion dollars. This is the size of the actual billings that are going to patients after insurance every year in the United States. It's growing at fifteen percent a year. Only twenty percent of it, well, it depends. twenty to twenty five percent of it is being paid in full. So call it eighty billion. So now you ask, what happens to the rest of the three hundred and sixty billion? Well, these people are of many categories. Some of them are you know need help spread those payments over time. Some other people need financial assistance. There's a lot of different categories here, and pays is essentially addressing
0: that market. Super fascinating and also pretty depressing numbers and, and pretty startling numbers there. I know you touched on that with your first customer there being that health system. Can you tell us a bit more about some of those other early customers and and what you really did to build trust and credibility with them? Because that's something that all B two B founders really struggle with in the early days.
1: So. Because we didn't know if it's going to work, I chose the most honest, transparent way to approach that first customer. Essentially, we looked at it as, we don't know if it's going to work. We'd like to innovate with you. And do you mind doing a test or a pilot? And the other thing that I realized, and that was actually by design, is you know every revenue we will make is going to be Success based, meaning if we're not going to add any value or we're not adding more patients who are paying you their bills, then it's not going to cost you anything. Essentially, make it so easy to work with you in such a compelling way, reduce more and more of the challenges that we heard about in the healthcare. Essentially, if you think about the healthcare and the challenges to sell to health systems, for example, it's IT issues. It takes a, a lot of time, it's very complex to integrate with the EMR, the electronic medical records. So make it very easy to do that. And we invested a ton of effort to make our technology easy to integrate. The other thing is make it free if you're not adding any value. I mean, make sure that the, the provider will not have to spend a dime to make it work. And only then, you know, if you're successful, you will get paid. So kind of put your money where your mouth is in a way. So will you remove any friction between you and a yes? right? But the first customer required because we didn't have any data. Now it's a lot easier for us because we have a lot of reference customers and great reviews and um, we have KPIs and case studies that show exactly the value we add to each product. So you can actually monetize it. You can really understand what it means to you in, in terms of dollars and cents. And dollars. A of letter, but we didn't have it at first, so we had to make it a pilot. Let's innovate together and help us make this a better product. And quite frankly, the first couple of customers had a lot of influence over what the product looks like today, because essentially they innovated with us. And look, I'll be totally honest. I mean, I was not a healthcare person. I'm still not a healthcare person. I'm more of a fintech technology guy. We had to learn a lot and go better to teach you healthcare than the healthcare providers. So that partnership, that honest partnership of trying to be innovative and learn, without over-promising anything, being very humble, was, I think, the key to, first of all, get trust. And, you know, people are used to people promising them everything and never deliver. I didn't promise anything. I basically came with questions and a potential solution that turned out to work, but that's why it was so exciting that my thesis worked for us and for the healthcare provider because
0: When I was on your website a couple of days ago, preparing for this interview, what I noticed was that the messaging is very clear. I would say uh, a big chunk of the time where I'm preparing for these interviews, I go on the founder's website and I have no clue what the hell the company does. Yeah. I just walk away scratching my head, wondering what on earth the company does. Your messaging is very clear. It's very crisp. What did it take to get your messaging to this point? Being obsessive about iterating your message. So
1: Discipline is going to be and focus is going to be a key theme of why we're successful as a team, not only in our business, but also so in fundraising, for example, because we did not have a lot of the issues a lot of other founders have today with uh, down rounds and uh, you know, spending too quickly and all of those things. So discipline, that means that after every meeting with every customer or every investor is a postmortem what worked, what doesn't work, what needs to be improved, what resonated, and where is the friction still? What do we need to really explain that doesn't really, we can't bring home? And, you know, it's just a bunch of trial and error, but really focusing on simplifying what we do. I'll be honest with you, Brett, I mean, what we do is very complex. It's extremely complex. I mean, healthcare as an industry, and especially payments and rev cycle management in hospitals, It's extremely complex for them and for the patients. Trying to simplify it in the background using technology is not easy. So there are so many things that we can explain in a very complex way. We choose to simplify everything we do in ways that will make it very clear to people what we do for hospitals, what we do for patients. And of course you can always double click and we can explain it better, but we think that you need to know what we're doing as soon as you come to our website or as soon as you see one of our presentations it should be clear to you
0: what our place is and what our position in the world is when it comes to the positioning against other categories how do you think about the category that you're in on the website i see operating system for healthcare affordability is that the category is it patient financing is it medical life cycle billing i think that's a category i've heard of what is that market category
1: so healthcare affordability is something we started But we didn't really know what we're starting, because the idea we had earlier was we can solve all healthcare affordability problems with a financial product, essentially a payment plan product without interest or fees on the right patients to the right payment plan, and you can actually finance those assets to the provider. But that is not correct. The more we delve in into the data with providers, the more we spoke to our customers, we'll realize that there's a lot more to this wallet share that we're not addressing with our two products, which is basically a post-care payment plan and a pre-care access card, which kind of the same thing, but designed for different use cases. You know, for example, there's this whole charity, charity care. Essentially, a lot of hospitals are trying to provide financial assistance to patients if they are of a certain financial class. And in order, if they can underwrite them for charity and match them with their charity program, they can get paid by the government a lot of the face value of the bill. The problem is that there is no real automated way to do that. And we found out, and we actually figured together with some of our providers that our integration with EMR, we already have, can actually help us automate that problem as well. So now we're shifting from addressing just the class of patients who needs. To pay their bills over time to patients who can get their bills canceled or get a big discount because of financial assistance but automate the whole process for for the patient and for the provider and actually the analogy brett is when you think about what we're used to as consumers now in e-commerce you know when you go to check out from amazon or using shopify for checking out and paying for something you purchase you have certain expectations from your experience. I mean, everything is transparent. Everything is embedded. Everything is pretty easy to use, whether you pay with a credit card, PayPal, or if you use financing, it's all there. In healthcare, everything was broken. Essentially, if you needed patient financing, you needed to call somebody, then they would refer you to a third party they're working with. Then you had to apply for patient financing if you got accepted or approved, and then you would pay the, the provider. It's a very broken process. What we did is we started to embed all of our technology within the checkout process the provider already had. So essentially, if we think you're someone who will enjoy or will benefit paying your bill over time, you will see an offer to pay your bill over time embedded in your Epic MyChart experience right away. If you're somebody who has the potential of being classified as a financial assistance case, you will have that experience that is different, but again, embedded into the system. So we're trying to bring healthcare payments or healthcare billing and affordability to the 21st century, and it's not there yet.
0: Yeah. A while back, I was watching an interview of Bill Ackman, and he mentioned a book called The Outsiders that I read that I really loved. And it was, um, I think it was seven or eight CEOs who didn't come from the industry. They came in and they dominated the space. It sounds like you are an outsider here from a healthcare perspective. Obviously, you have deep expertise in fintech. Do you think it would have been possible for you to try to solve this problem if you were a healthcare guy? Or did it really take an outsider to come in and have this fresh look and this fresh view? You know, so I'm not a big fan of
1: heck people thinking they can get into anything complex and just solve everything without having any understanding of what they're getting themselves into. So I have a little bit more humility. And I think that especially in this case, it's true. Healthcare, Ref cycle management and the daunting tasks that people at the healthcare systems need to deal with when it comes to regulations, when it comes to dealing with payers, denial management, coding, dealing now with a lot more with financial friction with the patient. It's such a mess. There's so much they need to do that somebody needs to come and really, I mean, yes, being an outsider gives you a fresh perspective. So I can absolutely agree with that. But I think that we need to respect a lot of the experience of things and mistakes that people already tried. So I'm trying to combine and have more of a balanced approach here. I mean, what I'm what I'm saying here is I'm learning a lot, and we are learning a lot as a company because we engage with healthcare professionals who have been doing it for years, who really want to innovate, but the current systems that they're in, the current uh, environment they're working. It will not allow them to really have that kind of of out-of-the-box thinking, moving fast and innovating because they have a lot to do. So I think it's more of a balance of, yes, being an outsider gives you an advantage, but I would not overlook the motivation that a lot of systems have. And I think this is a part of our success, by the way. A lot of systems really want to innovate with us, and we find that very uh, exciting because it helps us learn more, expand our products. Our products are better because of this engagement with our, our healthcare providers, our, our customers.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And mm-hmm. I'm guessing that you can kind of bucket outsiders into two different buckets, right? Bucket one would be they come in and say, wow, everyone in this industry is a moron. They're all idiots. You know, They've completely missed this. I'm going to come fix it. And the other bucket would be coming in with extreme curiosity wanting to engage and collaborate and learn and then building solutions from there and it definitely sounds like you're in bucket two as opposed to bucket one yes yes absolutely and
1: um I think that a lot of attempts to do it try to bucket one that did not uh, succeed so <laughs> in this space so I've seen a lot of uh stories so and quite frankly there's a lot of scars in healthcare healthcare professionals that heard when I said when I mentioned earlier that There are so many promises and nobody really delivered. Uh, It's because
0: people think it's a simple technology problem only, and it's not. There's a lot more to it. When it comes to that established category, it sounded like that established category then is patient financing. Do you view it as the healthcare affordability operating system is eventually going to replace this category of patient financing, or are they going to coexist together?
1: No, patient financing is a portion of what we do. Because the reason we call it operating system is because you cannot solve healthcare affordability with just finance. Mm -hmm. It's just not going to work. Essentially, what you will address is a very small portion of the $360 billion that remain after the 20% that paid in full. Maybe you'll add another 5% or 10% to that bucket. But if you really want to solve more and more of that wallet share and bring it to a healthy state, you will need to find different solutions and offer different products to patients at the right time using data. And but the reason it's an operating system is because we'll have many solutions. Some of them are charity automation. Some of them are Medicaid eligibility automation and enrollment. Again, a lot of people are eligible for Medicaid. They're just not enrolled. Well, a lot of them don't know how to fill up the forms and some of them don't speak English and guess what? Until they will be involved, the provider will not get paid. So providers are going to extreme lengths to enroll these people into Medicaid, but we can automate a lot of these processes and processes and a lot more robustly. So again, that's a different solution in the operating system. So what I'm trying to say is, yes, patient finance has its place and we are doing it very well. We're the best in the market. We have multiple products that address many different situations in a great way, in an automated, embedded way. But our vision is to expand our operating system to address more and more use cases as part of the affordability problem.
0: What do you think your superpower is? Or maybe another way to ask that, what would your colleagues, co-founders, investors, what would they describe your superpower as? (laughs) I don't know.
1: It's hard to really think about myself that way, but I hope that my ability to... Look at daunting problems and not freak out, and yeah. think very logically about those things, not being afraid of those problems and pushing through no matter what, is a pretty important power to have or you know ability to have. I would say one more thing that I'm pretty really proud of, especially in, in the Payzen case, is, I mean, look our discipline as a team, co-founding team, and everybody who comes to work for Payzen. First of all, you have to really buy into our mission. We need to solve healthcare affordability. So, you, we're doing some amazing things here. And the best part of my day is to read our patient feedback. I mean, it's just, we're doing some really awesome things. But I think that being very disciplined and focused on execution rather than a lot of buzz and creating news when you shouldn't, and maybe getting crazy valuations when you shouldn't, I mean, we existed in 2020, 2021, we we were not ready to raise, so we didn't raise. One would say, well, you missed out on a ton of valuation, but you know what? I also saved myself from a download I would say because, you know, you can't really get over your skis when it's not milestone-based. So we think that keeping our heads down, executing, growing as a company, focusing on first principles, and going to business is what brings us to a point where next year we're going to be cash flow positive already. So that's an amazing place to be in this world, right? Where we don't have to raise more money. I mean, we can turn profitable with what we have in the bank right now, which is amazing. And we're going 4X a year. So I don't think a lot of companies, tech companies, fintech companies can say those things.
0: Now, based on the entire journey that you've had so far building this company, let's imagine that you were starting again today from scratch. What would be the number one piece of advice that you'd give to yourself?
1: Oh, wow. I was asked that question a week ago by one of my board members. I think that this is actually uh, a good advice for any founder. Don't hire your chief sales or chief revenue officer too early. You know, you think you're ready for scale, so you want to get your your sales team kind of growing and you, you need somebody comes and scale the business you're probably not ready you're going to be the number one sales guy for the company for quite a while and any professional you're going to bring who's an potentially an amazing sales guy or a sales operator will not have the gut feel and will not have the iterative kind of discipline you have about what works what doesn't work what needs to be improved how is that flowing into your sales material how are we articulating the value of the company in the right way and explaining the value to stakeholders? Is that don't do it too early. Only now we're thinking about it. We still don't have one, and you know, I think that that was my one of the things that I could have avoided, which was costly, but still was um, you know too early, too soon.
0: Final question for you. Let's zoom out three to five years into the future. What's the big picture vision that you're building here?
1: I want Bazen to be the trusted brand for patients and providers, that when it comes to paying for their healthcare, if they would interact with us, they will always get what they're entitled to. We need either a payment plan, if they're entitled to some financial assistance, they will automate the whole process. We have a big market to go after, so I want us to expand our solution sets to touch more and solve more and more use cases. I see us as a public company in three years, you know, and keeping um, our innovative approach. I think one of the things that I'm trying to avoid in any company I build, I don't know if you read the The Great Degeneration book by uh, now Ferguson, but, you know, companies and institutions get to be bureaucratic and lose their innovative spirit, And I'm trying to use everything that, the lessons from the book and the lessons out from my business, uh, my previous companies, to avoid that. I want Paisa to always remain a company that's innovating, that makes very streamlined decisions, streamlined uh, management, uh, without a lot of bureaucracy, so trying to make it, keep it that way. It's going to be a challenge as we grow, but again, that's my uh, five year vision, I guess.
0: Amazing. I love the vision, and I, I really love this conversation. I know the audience is going to really enjoy it as well. We are up on time, so we'll have to wrap here. Before we do, if there's any founders that are listening in and they just want to follow along with your company building journey, where should they go?
1: Paysden.com is a, a great uh, start, and uh, they can find me on LinkedIn. And if they want to connect and get any advice or just talk, uh,
0: they're than welcome. Amazing. It's a thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. It was my pleasure. Thank you, brother. Enjoyed it. All right. Keep in touch. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode.